You're listening to the Mission Bitcoin Podcast. Hey, uh, Reverend Wendy, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, it's a pleasure to to meet you. And kind of uh, just so you know, I'm a um, by tradition, a conservative. So it's interesting to have you on the show. Um, I lived in, uh, well, I lived in the DC area for about 15 years and um, I trained at Walter Reed Army Medical Center, the old one that's closed on 16th Street. And my... Mm-hmm. Uh, youngest child went to American University and her husband went there as well. So very familiar with uh, Washington, D.C. Well, as, as, as familiar you can be, you know, living outside the Beltway, but uh, fair enough. And um, but I heard you on our on an, on the Progressive uh, Bitcoiner podcast. I was fascinated by your story. It sounds like you've you have a love for helping people as a as a surgeon myself. I know what that's like. And but I was really intrigued, honestly, by your story about Bitcoin and just running as a representative for the district, what, um, you know, that, that whole intersection. So just for the audience sake, if you just kind of start by introducing yourself, your background, and then we'll go from there. Thanks so much. Sure. Thank you so much, Mr. Dr. Melder. Is that, is that what Reverend the, Melder? No, no, no. Uh, Patrick is fine. Okay, Patrick. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you reaching out. As you mentioned, my name is Reverend Wendy Hamilton, and I'm the current candidate for United States Delegate to the House of Representatives for Washington, D.C. So I'm very excited to be in the midst of running a race that will hopefully take me to the place of being able to represent the great residents of the city, soon to be state of District of Columbia. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm just glad to be here. Also, you mentioned, you mentioned your ties to the area. Yes, Walter Reed, of course, is not open as Walter Reed, but they've turned it into condos and it's, you know, got a nice park around it. Nice. Last time I saw it was barred off and deer were roaming around and it was overgrown. It was horrible. Yeah. Oh, it is fancy schmancy now oh nice okay they have outdoor jazz concerts and everything farmers market so it's beautiful oh wow Um, and that's up there in ward four i i'm from ohio originally um i was born in a small town there came to dc uh back in 1986 don't start counting the years now uh, to go to college at Howard University mm-hmm. uh, and graduated from there with my bachelor's degree. And then later in life, feeling called to ministry, went back to Howard School of Divinity and got my master's in religious studies and uh, became ordained back in 2016. And so, yes, I am Reverend Wendy uh, Hamilton. I I, I love D.C. because I've been here since I was 17 years old. Essentially, I consider D.C. my adult home. This place grew me up. This is this is where I've come to to settle and to connect and build out community and 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 learn more about how I could be of service to my fellow residents in D.C. And that's sort of what prompted me to consider running for office. Um, this is not something to undertake lightly or just to wake up one morning and say, you know what? I got nothing else to do with my life. <laughs> Let me put it on hold and run for office. That wasn't the case at all. It, it honestly played into uh, my background of, of being a, a public servant, if you will, and understanding on many levels that public service is a form of ministry. 
Mm-hmm. And so uh, after a soul searching process and talking to some political advisors, decided at this time to, to take on this challenge of running uh, for this role. That's that's great, Wendy. Thanks so much. Um, you know, I just as a, you know, to be honest, a white male, but living in um, the D.C. area, seeing some of the struggles of the African-American community and really um I guess what's endemic in a lot of big cities, um, I mean, I appreciate your your um, willingness to serve the, the community by what you're doing. What, how do you, I, as I'm kind of rolling into that question, because it, 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 it pertains to what can we do to help the African-American community? And I guess, how do you think Bitcoin's gonna be able to do that? And um, I guess before I ask that question, just kind of tell us your, your history with Bitcoin. Um, and how you found out about it. So let me say that I'm still learning. I think that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is going to be an evolving process. We're all going to be continually learning. But the way I came to know about it essentially is that last summer around the time that I launched my campaign, well, let me go back even further than that because I launched my campaign in January of 2020. Wow. And I want people to understand (laughs) I did that because I understood, uh, excuse me, 2021, Jan- okay. January okay. 2021. I'm sorry about that. Um, because I am facing a 32-year incumbent here in the D.C. area. And you you don't run against a longstanding incumbent with citywide name recognition, you know, in, in three months or six months. You have to get a head start. Yeah. So when we got started on this campaign back in January of 2021, Um, There there were a lot of issues as we were shaping our policy platform that I want to make sure were included, um, including economic justice. And so when we talked about how do we level the playing field, how do we get more opportunities, particularly for black and brown Americans to succeed in in, in our uh, economic framework here in the United States, what do some of those opportunities look like? Well, right around that same time, there was this big interest in cryptocurrency, in Bitcoin, in Doge, in all of the different, you know, coins were coming about and everybody, you know, as well as um, AMC stock, you know, and there was just all Mm -hmm. this hype around what was going on. And so I turned to my team. I had a couple of advisors on the team who I knew had been in the crypto space really since 2014. Wow. Um, And and so I said, tell me what's going on. Help me, help inform me, because I feel like this is something. I feel like it's something I need to be aware aware of and and is it something that will fit into the framework of of our our policies because i think that if that is the case, then we want to be in front of this. I want to be a forward-thinking candidate. So we had a few meetings and they came back and they said, you know what, Wendy, I think this would be excellent for you to begin to to, um, incorporate because number one, it's here, it's the future, it's going to happen. But number two, the crypto, the Bitcoin community in particular, they're looking for inroads into the political community. Those conversations are eventually going to have to happen. And so why not now? And it would be really forward thinking of you as a candidate to consider engaging the community and finding out more about how, if if, if in any way, can Bitcoin help establish and obtain economic justice? 
and it, and it made sense to me because I'm looking around the world and I'm looking in El Salvador and I'm looking in Nigeria and I'm seeing these countries that are, are, are adopting Bitcoin and that some of the people who are, are, are less fortunate being able to have financial liberation and, and get money to their families and get, and without um, having to go through the middleman, yep. without having to mm-hmm. go through banks, without having to be uh, assessed these exorbitant fees that take away uh, from the amount of money that they're trying to send. And so it, it, it looked like it was empowering people, poor people. And yeah. I said, oh, wait a minute. Well, I've got poor people here in D.C. that I'm trying to represent, not the whole city. But for those who don't know about the demographics of Washington, D.C. in particular, it is um majority black and brown, majority black. It always has been. When I moved here in 1986, D.C. was 70% black. Um, it's it's now down to about 46, 46, mm. according to the last census. But there's a lot of black families here who have been here for decades, for, for you know, multi-generational families here in Washington, D.C. D.C. is, is the, the, the eight wards of of residents that make up this city, 700,000 culturally diverse people. A lot of people don't know that. One of the reasons I ran is because you, you, or that I'm running is because people oftentimes make comments about, well, Washington is this and what Washington is that. But what they're referring to is the political structure and the government and the Capitol Hill. And, 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 and what I say to folks is there's a Washington, that's Washington, but there's also a DC mm. and DC is the, the residents. It's those of us who go to work, pay our bills, do what we need to do every day and yet are paying taxes without representation. So I like to make that delineation, but as far as Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and and the conversations around it, it started making sense because I can't support anything. I'm not going to support something just because it's a fad, right? I want it. It needs to be able to resonate with me so that I can articulate it properly. And that's where we saw the economic liberation that was happening around the world. I felt like we could bring that um, here to the United States, particularly uh, to my residents in D.C. That's great. You know, I'm working on the the project in Guatemala, the Bitcoin Lake project. That's the project I started. And for the same reasons, uh, I've done a lot of work down in Guatemala with my family doing mission trips and trying to bring economic opportunity to people who don't have access to banking services. And I know the um, black and brown community uh, suffers from the same issues that those in developing, which is it's a tragedy and it's a travesty that 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 occurs and still occurs today. Do um, I mean, when you're when you're out talking with residents, maybe not so much in the affluent areas of D.C., but maybe in the less affluent areas, does Bitcoin come up? Do you do you make it a point or is it just kind of part of the the platform or your your um, what you're running on? Well, that's another reason why I wanted to talk about it, because it really just wasn't talked about in D.C. in any community yet. Um, here in the city. Again, you go over on Capitol Hill and you got Senator Warren and, you know, and Gensler over SEC. They're all, you know, talking about regulations and all that kind of stuff. But when you're talking about in the city itself, whether it be in the affluent Ward 3 where American University is or over where I live in Ward 8, east of the river, there just weren't any conversations happening. I was looking for like communities that we could plug into to say, hey, I'm a pro-crypto candidate, you know, and, and, and wasn't really finding anyone. And so I had to kind of go outside the community, get information to find out how then do I get my residents educated because the one thing I was finding, Patrick, was there were these Bitcoin ATMs mm-hmm. popping up mm-hmm. in gas stations and carryouts in some of the poorest communities. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm like, what is the point of these popping up these high C, you know, Bitcoin ATMs popping up and we haven't provided any education or information to the communities on what this is about and what they can expect and how to navigate through it. So I saw this opening and I was like, by God, I'm going to fill it. You know, I'm going to learn for my, myself, but I'm also going to connect myself with people who have been at this much longer and who are much smarter. So folks like Naja Roberts, who's an African-American woman, the crypto coach, she's coming here to D.C. to do an outreach workshop with That's me. That's awesome. You know, help me educate my people so that 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 they're not taken advantage of. That's the whole reason I think Bitcoin can liberate is that it doesn't have that middle manner, that opportunity for systematic, you know, systemic discrimination or uh, things like that that happen in your traditional banking types of of, of settings. And so um, before it becomes rife with this misunderstanding, you know, folks talking about, oh, it's just a Ponzi scheme. Oh, it's just multi-level marketing. Let's get the education. Let's get ahead of it. Get the education out there now. That's great. Uh, Wendy, and as you're mentioning that, I'm going to, after we get off here, I'm going to get your address and send you a couple of copies of my book, The Christian Case for Bitcoin. I think that might help um, just to have as a resource. And then I'll just offer myself, um, I've done a course called the uh, Bitcoin for Churches, which it doesn't have to be religious in nature, but if you need any of my help on education materials, I'm happy to to reach out or to help. So uh, feel free to to reach out to me for that if you need it. Um, I don't know if you saw just this morning, so not to put you on the spot, but the White House just released a a statement um, about regulation of cryptocurrency. And by all accounts, it seems to be pretty benign. I think a lot of us were kind of concerned that it was going to be a little onerous, but it seems like um, the Biden White House has taken a pretty even keel stance on on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, which I think is is uh, good. Um, if you don't have a copy of this, I'll send it. I'll send the link to you for you afterwards. But that's encouraging. And um, I applaud you for trying to get ahead of this. Um, I, um, I actually already tweeted about that. Awesome. Fantastic. (laughs) I've been watching it, keeping my eye on it because, you know, a lot of folks were a little nervous, as was I. I didn't know what they were going to say, honestly. I wasn't sure where Biden was going to go with it. And so when and, you know, there are all kinds of leaks happening yesterday and people, you know, arriving at particular conclusions. And I said, let me just wait till the actual order, you know, comes out before I, you know, make any sort of sort of knee jerk reaction. And I saw it and I said in my uh, Twitter, if you, you know, check me out, I said the very same thing. I said, you know, the executive order from President Biden is actually pretty measured. You know, I'm, I'm actually and, and more forward thinking, honestly, than I expected. I just I didn't want them to come out with these crazy. Oh, we got to stop it. We got to regulate it. I, you know what it what it what it said to me was that there is a recognition on his part and on this administration's part that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency are here. And we might as well figure out how to navigate it, to educate Americans and to embrace it because it's not going anywhere. And so it was much, much more measured um, and managed than I thought. But it was encouraging to me because I was I was hoping that they would just not like, listen, might as well not fight it. Let's just go with it. Yeah. What what is the um, speaking of demographics, what what's the unemployment level um, in the the brown and black community? What's what's the rate running right now and how did the pandemic affect that? And what do you think, you know, the inflation numbers, I I think we're getting new inflation numbers tomorrow. I don't think they're going to look very good. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, how how does that affect your campaigning and 
And right now, because you know the the Bitcoin right now is kind of a I don't want to say pipe dream that, but it's it's future mm-hmm. to. But mm-hmm. what do you what do you what are you telling your your potential base about how to, you know, deal with high unemployment and high inflation? What what's the solution? Well, one of the things I'll say to you is, of course, the unemployment numbers are always higher in black and brown communities than they are on a national average. And I believe the last time I looked, Patrick, they were right around 20 percent for uh, the black and brown communities here in D.C. The pandemic was it was all the rate was high before the pandemic. It it, it nearly doubled Mm. um, in the pandemic. It's 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 a rough time for everyone, but particularly um, for these distressed communities. And so. While Bitcoin yet might be a ways off, one of the other aspects of my economic platform um, is universal basic income. And I, I know that sometimes I have those in the Bitcoin community that say, no, you know, that's that's fiat. Let's not, you know, they, they kind of go back and forth. But I don't I don't think that one. I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive. Let me just put it that way. I think that there's UBI that can be paid out in crypto. So yeah. let's let's you know let's look at it a, mo- a little bit more broadly, not from a scarcity mentality of it has to be one or the other. And so for me, I'm talking to residents about what is the most um, efficient and quickest way I can get money in their hands to help them recover. And so universal basic income is another part of my overall economic justice platform that would provide unconditional cash payments, monthly recurring payments to residents to help um, extend the lifeline that we all need right now. Businesses need that. And there are basic income pilot programs happening all around the country that are demonstrating how the money itself that's given goes straight back into the economy. You know, people aren't going out buying fancy yachts. They're going and buying groceries. They're buying gas. They're trying to to deal with these inflationary prices. And so if we can bail out banks, we can bail out people. So let's figure out a way to get money in people's hands. Yeah. You know, so I, again, coming from a conservative background, I probably, you know, six months ago, 12 months ago, probably would have strongly disagreed, but you know, the, what we're trying to do down in Guatemala is implement basically a UBI using Mm -hmm. Bitcoin mining, but using Mm -hmm. the renewable resources that are available in the area that I'm working at using the renewable, uh, sustainable energy sources. And so it's, it's, it's not something for free. We're using a resource that is being wasted right now. And exactly. So there's a lot of, there are probably a lot of wasted energy sources that could be tapped around the DC area. I mean, you've got the Potomac there uh, for one uh, from hydro. So, you know, you could potentially plug in Bitcoin mining and provide um, a universal basic income using that. So you know, some of my listeners may not agree with me, but I feel I feel um, I feel like that could be a possibility with uh, with Bitcoin. So I applaud you for that. Um, it is. And if you take a look at my platform on RevWendyForCongress.com and look at my issues page around cryptocurrency, we also ex- explored some some uh, renewable um, environmental friendly ways that we could incorporate blockchain technology, uh, you know, into this conversation for those who might feel a little com- uncomfortable one way or the other. Because what I'd like to say is Bitcoin transcends ideology. Yes. Yes. That, well, that's why you're on the that's why you're on the podcast, because <laughs> the uh, that's exactly why you're here, because I think that hopefully uh, something like Bitcoin is 
you know, we need to find common ground here in America. And um, I think that, and I'm going to scold you as a future politician. Well, you are a politician. Uh, Let, you know, we need unity. And I think Bitcoin could be something that unifies a lot of different communities uh, with different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Um, So I applaud you for that. That's great. Um, I guess uh, just a curious question for me. And I, um, uh, you know, I, I, I know that DC that's been kind of a DC for statehood has been an issue for even when I was living there 20, uh, 25 years ago, but, um, what, how would that look, uh, functionally with, you know, it's essentially, um, a city that would become a state essentially mm-hmm. would, it would, um, just how would that work with, if it became a state, would they have, would you, would there be a governor and a mayor? Because it seems like the mayor as the executive of DC is, would essentially be the governor. How would that work? Yeah, that's right. So the mayor would become the governor and we would, we would expand the city council to 21 to make it a state legislature and each ward would have two representatives. Okay. If you want more information on that, that's kind of like a quick and dirty, you know, layout for you, but those who have been working on statehood for a number of years put together a a draft constitution of what D.C. statehood would look like, first and foremost, changing the name to the Douglas Commonwealth Hmm. after Frederick Douglass. Sure, absolutely. So you can look that up, the Douglas Commonwealth Constitution. It is online and available for review if you'd like to get in the weeds in terms of what um, statehood would look like. But um, it's a fight. You're right. It's been going on since you were here. It's been going on, you know, since home rule was established, you know, back in 1976. And for us, it's it's not even a political issue, really. It's a, it's a human rights issue. It's about taxation without representation. It's about 700,000 residents who are paying more taxes than 33 other states in the Mm. nation that have more population than Wyoming and Vermont, and yet don't have voting representation in Congress, in the House or the Senate. It's about making sure that our voices are heard. It's about asking the government to stop meddling in what's happening in DC. I don't need a representative from Wisconsin making a ruling on what we can teach and not teach in DC public schools. You understand what I'm Mm -hmm, saying? mm -hmm. And you've never set foot in one of our buildings. You're a part of Washington, but you've never visited DC. So why are you making you know decisions uh, from your desk about what's happening in the city and why do we have to run our budget you know through Congress at the end of the day we mm. have demonstrated that we have fiscal responsibility we can make decisions for ourselves and yet we have to get everything signed off on by the government that's not okay you know give us the opportunity to govern ourselves and make decisions that are in the best interest of our residents so interesting okay well you, you may have you may have swayed me there uh, that those are very very interesting points um you know, especially the population aspect, because you're right. I mean, we've got states that have less population than that. Uh, that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, what, so the uh, why are we? I, and I know you've got to run, but I'll I'll leave you with this with this last question. And I, I would encourage everybody to go to uh, Reverend Wendy's website, and I'll put that in the show notes. But Wendy, why are we so divided? I think because we we don't focus enough on the things that can bring us together. Um, and honestly, division is easier than togetherness. Yeah. Uh, you, you understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. It's easier for me to hold animosity and 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 uh, you know 
unkind feelings about someone I don't know much about than it is to take the time to get to know them, to listen to them, to recognize that they may not agree that we might have differences, but that doesn't make us, you know, superior or inferior to one another. I like to say to people, different does not make you um, inferior. Mm -hmm. It just makes you different. So if I think differently than you, if I pray differently than you, if I worship differently than you, if I love differently than you, it does not make me inferior to you. It just makes me different. Yeah. And when we get to the place where we can agree on that or even agree to disagree without being disagreeable, we'll start to see more uniting. Now, I will also say that that typically in America, issues will come up that will remind us of that. And I think that the pandemic, to a certain degree, gave us at least an opportunity to see that the 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 pandemic didn't just, everybody got hit in one way or another, whether it was your business, whether it was us having to stay home, you know, regardless of whether you agree with that or not, the pandemic did not discriminate yeah. <laughs> against, all, you know, all of us as Americans or and around the world were affected in one way or the other. And so it's, it's opportunities like this, I think, Patrick, that give us give a chance to be reminded of just how, you know, how similar we are. We're all one pandemic away from being in a in a, in a crisis situation yeah, in terms sure. of our lives and situations. We're all, you know, uh, th- these gas prices and things like that is affecting all of us, not just, just you know, just a, just a few, maybe some more so than others. But I think we just have to begin to remind ourselves that we do have more in common than than we do that um, that is different and and give ourselves permission to to start letting down some of our fears and our preconceived notions about one another and having a conversation. Great. That's great, Wendy. And by the way, counting the years, uh, we're, we're, we're about the same age. <laughs> Is that right? Okay. Hey, it's a good age. It's a good, it's a good age. Yeah. Well, great, Wendy. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me again. Check me out, RevWendyForCongress.com. Uh, you know, love to hear from you and um, I'll be in touch with you about uh, connecting and getting some education to the folks of DC, the awesome. Douglas Commonwealth.